Hi, Bob. You all right? No, no. That's that's the series. So I'm, I'm going to date some of you. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Right? So who said that? What was the occasion? It was inaugural address. Right? Very good. Cuba was later. <laughs> this is part of the closing remarks of the inaugural address made by John F. Kennedy, the youngest and first Roman Catholic ever elected president of the United States. That was in 1961. Where were you in 1961, January of that year? What were you doing? So here, here's the thing. Most of you who remember that will probably remember where you were in 1963 when he was assassinated. Right? Yeah. Well, let me quote the, uh, the full closing remarks so that you get the full context. Okay? In the long history of the world, only a few generations have been granted the role of defending freedom in its hour of maximum danger. Don't forget, we're coming out of World War II, Korea. I do not shrink from this responsibility. I welcome it. I do not believe that any of us would exchange places with any other people or any other generation. The energy, the faith, the devotion which we bring to this endeavor will light our country and all who serve it, and the glow from that fire can truly light the world. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. My fellow citizens of the world, ask not what America will do for you, but what together we can do for the freedom of man. Finally, whether you are citizens of America or citizens of the world, Ask of us here the same high standards of strength and sacrifice which we ask of you. With a good conscience, our only sure reward, with history the final judge of our deeds, let us go forth to lead the land we love, asking his blessing and his help, but knowing that here on earth God's work must truly be our own. That's some good stuff, huh? So I went on uh, YouTube and listened to the full speech and was once again impacted and impressed by JFK's depth of vision and purpose for this nation and his all-in commitment to his newfound role in leading it. He dared to encourage a generation to let go of the past, to look beyond the present and to reach forward into an unknown future of endless possibilities and to literally reach for the stars, while at the same time acknowledging that we can achieve little outside of the sovereignty of grace of God's divine will and purpose. The stars were the limits, but liberty and courageous compassion were the driving force. 
Listen to this little excerpt from the body of the speech. Together, let us explore the stars, conquer the deserts, eradicate disease, tap the ocean's depths, and encourage the arts and commerce. Let both sides unite to heed in all corners of the earth the command of Isaiah. I love this. To undo the heavy burdens and to let the oppressed go free. This inaugural address, spoken at this particular point in history, at the cusp of one of America's greatest cultural and societal transitions, brought the future possibilities that at that, at that time only existed as science fiction, and enlivened and envisioned them as an achievable reality into the minds, hearts, and wills of the American people. And look at the fruit. Man has walked on the moon. Other planets and planetary systems have been robotically explored. The floors of our oceans have been mapped with sonar and depths once thought unreachable have been visited and explored, revealing new life forms as well as wondrous insights into our own planet's ability to regenerate itself. Deserts are being turned into farmland all over Israel. Once deadly diseases are being eradicated. And wonder of wonders, we have not annihilated ourselves, our own species, through nuclear conflict. Yes, sir. Isn't that amazing, huh? All right. Thank you, Billy, for that information. That was a, a Billy blip. <laughs> they pop up every so often, just spontaneously. And there'll be a test on that next week. <laughs> One man's inaugural speech launched a flurry of created thinking and risk-taking that has changed our world. JFK called for a future yet unseen. And pretty much all but one goal has been achieved. And that goal is to undo the heavy burdens and to let the oppressed go free. Last week, I talked about the prophetic words and timeline from the book of Daniel and the prophet Isaiah that had been the undercurrent of hope for centuries for the Jews, a hope of redemption and restoration of a savior and king who was to come. We saw how, as Jesus emerged on the scene, that that hope had morphed into an anticipation and expectation that change was coming. Anyone feel that lately? Hmm. But you know that sometimes when you hold on to a hope for too long, that it can lose its potency. Its initial impact can become a desire lost. Proverbs 13.12 says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. I love the way Galadriel expresses it in the Lord of the Rings prologue. History became legend, legend became myth, and passed out of all knowledge. 
that happens sometimes to our hopes. And so Jesus announces or launches his ministry with an inaugural address, an address that reminds the people of God's past prophetic promises while proclaiming God's future purposes in his now moment. Luke 4, 18 and 19, he says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So here's an interesting thought. Jesus is not quoting Luke 4.18. This is Luke quoting Jesus, who is quoting the prophet Isaiah. And Isaiah, 800 years before Jesus, was speaking forward in time to Jesus' first coming as Messiah to give hope to God's people, and then even beyond this moment to the end of the age, and the second coming of Jesus as king and the kingdom age to give hope to the whole world. And what Jesus is doing is activating or inaugurating all of this, bringing it out of the prophetic hoped for into the achievable, reachable now of the kingdom. What theologians and scholars call inaugurated eschatology. There'll be a test on that word next week, too. Jesus brought the end of the age and the kingdom of God within our reach through the inbreaking now of a torn open heaven. Remember last week we talked about his water baptism out of the Gospel of uh, Mark where it says, and the heavens were torn. They were torn, they were rent. It was a violent action, a ripping through the barriers of the past to to the now moment of God's purposes. In other words, Jesus did not just inaugurate his kingship. He inaugurated the whole kingdom of God on earth. Because where the king is, there is the kingdom also. And the king is in you and in me. Chew on that for a while. According to uh, George Laird, God's rule breaks into our world through Jesus' life and ministry. God's future world and its entire value system was breaking into our human experience. Using a theological phrase, we call this inaugurated eschatology. Put simply, this means that Jesus inaugurated or ushered in the gifts of God's future perfect world. Eschatology is about the end of the age. God's future kingdom where healing and justice and love will reign supreme for eternity. Should I say that again? Yes. (laughs) Healing and justice and love will reign supreme for eternity. Doesn't that feel good? Hmm. This was being brought into the present through the ministry of Jesus. In Jesus, humanity was experiencing the presence of God's future. 
the kingdom of God, God's rule and reign, was being established in hearts and lives as Jesus not only proclaimed the good news of God's plan to crush the works of Satan, but he also demonstrated that good news by healing the sick, casting out demons, offering radical forgiveness, extending compassion, and delivering the oppressed. The one thing unachievable by the sheer will of man. The one thing JFK could not compel the world to do, Jesus offers to us freely. Every act of physical healing, every act of forgiveness, every action addressing poverty is a foretaste, a sampling of God's kingdom that will come one day. God's kingdom has broken into the world, is breaking into the world, and will break into the world to come one day. Isn't that amazing? As Jesus spoke about the kingdom of God that he was demonstrating, he seemed to speak about it in two different ways. The kingdom of God for Jesus seemed to be both now and not yet. In other words... The kingdom was something that was invading the earth through his ministry in the present. But then he would talk about the future kingdom, when all wrongs will be made right and he would reign forever and ever. In the vineyard, we call this living between the times. In other words, folks, from the time of Jesus, we have been living in the last days. Right? Don't look forward to the last days. You're in them. This is the realm that you dwell in. We as human beings live in the tension between the kingdom touching us now and the kingdom that will be fully revealed at the end of time. So what does this mean for God's kingdom to come now? Wherever Jesus taught, signs and wonders followed him. How many of you have read all four of the Gospels all the way through? Right? So you've seen this, right? Go into a town and make a proclamation, and, and next thing you know, everybody's coming out with all this sick folk to be healed. And then these little one-liners, and he healed every one of them. Right? And he healed every one of them. And he healed them of all their disease. Isn't that awesome? Right? Children were raised from the dead. Lepers were cleansed of their diseases. The lame walked. The blind were given sights. Multitudes were miraculously fed with small amounts of food. Prostitutes were shown mercy and kindness. Arrogant religious leaders were rebuked for their lack of compassion. The poor were treated with dignity as fellow image bearers of God. Women were afforded equal dignity with men. Compassion was shown to beggars, thieves, and drunkards. The hand of God was touching the world through Jesus. And God was confirming Christ as his royal regent through signs, wonders, and miracles. Hebrews 2, 3, and 4 says this, How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Such a great salvation. Have you considered how great your salvation is? Have you considered how great was the work of the cross and the power of the resurrection to redeem your life? 
Have you considered how great the promises of God that have been achieved as yes and amen in Christ Jesus? This God who has come and dwelled in your life, have you considered how great a salvation you possess? It was declared at the first by the Lord. This is Jesus' work. This is not the work of a pastor. It's not the work of an evangelist. It's the work of Jesus Christ from the beginning. And Christ through those pastors, evangelists, apostles, prophets, teachers. It's all him. He is the king. And it was attested to by us, uh, by those who heard, while God also bore witness. So listen, I can tell you what Jesus has done for me. I can give you a, a testimony, an affirmation by words, but when God wants to witness Jesus Christ to the world, listen to what he does. By signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. That's the testimony of the Father. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased, and he gives, and he gives, and he gives the best that heaven offers. Why? Because the heavens have been torn, and they're open, they're accessible, and God is a giving God, a loving God. Jesus was a living, breathing revolution, and hearts were being changed everywhere. But it didn't stop there. Jesus then commissioned his disciples to do the same things that he was doing. They were going to proclaim, preach, and demonstrate God's rule and reign, working with their obedience, working with their obedience. The Holy Spirit then extended the kingdom into people's lives. I want to pause here for a moment. A lot of you have taken... Uh, School of Kingdom Ministry, you know, and, and sometimes we wonder, you know, why, why things happen for this one, they don't happen for this one. Why, how come, you know, I put all this effort, all this training in, and I'm not seeing the fruit. Did you hear that little phrase? Working with their obedience, the Holy Spirit then extended the kingdom into people's lives. Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice. You want to do God's work? Listen, watch, then do and say what you see and you hear the Father doing. Obedience is the key. Jesus never meant for the miracles to end with him. This ragtag band of fishermen, tax collectors, and Jewish laymen were participating with Jesus in the revealing of the kingdom. Every miracle, every act of justice and compassion was pointing to the future day when God would completely set the world upside right. The presence of the future was truly upon them. God's kingdom had come near and the disciples were participating in his great restoration process. In the vineyard, we believe that God acts in healing, power, and deliverance today. We also believe that the kingdom apprenticeship Jesus began has never stopped. 
and is an invitation open to every Christ follower. The now of the kingdom, the now of the kingdom is here now. John 14, 12 makes this very clear. This is Jesus speaking, and I know it because it's printed in red. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me, do you believe in him? will also do the works that I do. Now, that's a pretty awesome promise, right? But he doesn't stop there. And greater works, greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Listen, you read the Gospels. You read the Gospels. You let it seep into your very soul and spirit the work of Christ, what he did in proclaiming the kingdom in word and deed, and know that he says to you, you can do this. This is for you. And then take the next step because he says, greater than what you read in this book, greater than the things you hear about me doing, you will be able to do if you hear and obey. Shema. Hear, O Israel. Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. As Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me. If you obey me, you'll do my works. Let's stand together. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to wait. We're going to wait on the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Jesus said to his disciples, tarry here in Jerusalem and wait until you receive power from on high. Yeah. So we're going to wait. We're going to invite the Holy Spirit to come in our now. If you can imagine this in your mind, in your heart, that right over your head is an open window. And God's grace and blessings are being poured out into your life. The only thing that prevents you from receiving them is you receiving them or not receiving them. By faith, laying hold of the fact that greater things are available for me to do. All that Christ was able to do for the Father, I can do for Christ, by the Spirit, not by power, not by might, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. So we invite you, Holy Spirit, won't you come? We wait on you. We wait for your power, for your presence, for your anointing. Lord, that you would come, Holy Spirit, and testify to our hearts, our minds, and our lives. Testify about Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit.
Yes, Lord. More, more, Lord. Your presence comes. 